<laughs> All right, so um, so Sarah's doing Trust God, Clean House, and Help Others. And uh, it's with great pleasure that I uh, introduce uh, Sarah from Big Book Magic. Uh, tonight she's doing Clean House. Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah. I'm alcoholic. Hi, Sarah. Um, it's really good to be back here. Um, the crowd's a lot bigger tonight because there isn't a major sports event, I don't think. Um, yeah, last week was really cool. I, you know, had the expectation that I was going to come here and I was going to kind of do like a clean, like, walkthrough of all the steps. Um, and then after a conversation with my sponsor, I thought it would be better to just kind of focus on what my current experience is, really, you know, with the idea of trusting God, with cleaning house, and then with helping others. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, God reliance last week, and my experience was that I couldn't have any reliance on God until I had done the cleaning house part to, to gain access, you know, because um, I, remember, I remember the day that I realized that a belief in God really didn't matter at all in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not a program about, like, believing in God or even understanding God or whatever. Um, if, if a belief in a higher power was sufficient to keep me sober, there would not be priests or clergymen in AA. You know, people who have believed in God their whole life find that they can't control their drinking, they can't not start to drink, and they can't find the power that they need to live life on a level that they want. So it's not about a belief in a power greater than me. Um, I didn't necessarily not believe in God. I didn't really think about God once. The only time I really remember thinking about God was when a drug dealer that I was, like, hooking up with got arrested right in front of me. <laughs> and then I was super afraid that that was somehow going to be my fault and that he was going to be really upset with me. And so I was praying, like, on the street. <clears throat> I think I was drunk. I was praying on the street out loud that God would make sure that nothing too bad happened to him so that he wouldn't be upset with me when he got out of jail. And that was about the extent, you know, of, of my belief in God. Um, but the, uh, you know, the real work that we're doing here is about, like, clearing away the things that block me from God. You know, it's about, like, getting access. And um, my experience is that, like, I can't really explain to you what God is or whatever, but uh, God is, like, an experience that I have when I uh, take inventory and share it with somebody. And and see like a new level of truth about myself and come to a new level of willingness of like a different way that I might want to live. Um, and if I, and when I can see the way that I've harmed people and when I have this awareness that I don't want to do that anymore and when I go to you and I say, I'm sorry that I hurt you and I don't want to do this, what can I do to make it right? All those things. God is like an experience that I have. And um, I was recently doing inventory with uh, a sponsee and I asked her afterward, I said, how do you feel? And she said, uh, I feel a fulfilling nothingness. And I was like, word, right? Like, that's, like, that's pretty good. And that was my experience um, right after I did, I did five, six, and seven all at the same time with my sponsor. And I had gone to his house with an overwhelming sense of negativity. You know, Bill Wilson talks about um, there was a terrible sense of impending calamity, you know, like this, this idea of like impending doom. And that was like before his writhing nerves were stilled by a couple of drinks. It's like that was his experience, sober, before the drinks brought him the relief. Um, 
And I sort of had the expectation that, like, all of that overwhelming negativity would be replaced by overwhelming positivity, right? Because I'm, I'm an alcoholic, and I really want to feel very good <laughs> all the time. Um, and uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't that way. It was uh, what happened to me was just all of the overwhelming negativity just simply was removed. And I was okay. Things were very quiet. They were very calm. And um, I did about a 20-minute period of meditation after, uh, after that when I had got home before going to a meeting. And I know that they, uh, they suggest to sit down and review for an hour, you know, if you were thorough. I mean, I knew I was thorough. And the only thing that kept going through my head was, like, I thanked God that I knew God better because I had a sense of relief and a sense of peace, and I felt this, like, this, okay, I'm good. I'm being taken care of. What I need to do now is move forward and amend these things, you know, and God really is truly taking care of me. Um, and uh, something that I forgot to discuss last week, um, in the family afterward, they have this... Um, part that really describes like when I'm getting out of the way and and how this relates to like clean house is that like the clean house is like the build-up for like this experience um, but uh, okay right so we've been speaking to you of serious sometimes tragic things we have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect but we aren't a glum lot if newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence they wouldn't want it we absolutely insist on enjoying life. And I have a friend that says that, like, sometimes she has, she's like, no, 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 I insist, right? Like, I have to insist on enjoying life because sometimes, like, my brain can maybe not want to do that so naturally. But we try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is alcoholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do not recount and almost relive the horrors of our past, but those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and we have been given the power to help others. I mean, this is just, like, amazing. Everybody uh, knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. So let each family play together or separately as much as their circumstances warrant. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, so it was once just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid, then, the deliberate manufacture of misery. Um, but if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Um, so there's a couple things going on here. The idea that, like, my troubles and my misery are of my own making. And um, my boyfriend's sponsor said this once in a meeting, and I never forgot the idea that misery actually has to be manufactured. Because if God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free, and God is the only thing that is actually real, joy is the only thing happening. So when I had this experience of, of cleaning house with my sponsor and feeling some relief from, from the misery that I was manufacturing and I stopped manufacturing misery, even though, I mean, the perfection of that experience lasted 24 hours. Since then, it's been daily practice, right, of continuing to take the action, you know, and I get disturbed 
all the time. But I, if I didn't have, uh, if I didn't have inventory and I didn't have the steps to like continue practicing, like I would be screwed. Like I very, I am a recovered alcoholic. My obsession to drink alcohol has been lifted. I have the capacity to be useful and helpful to you. I no longer feel like everything is falling down on me. If I'm in a situation that's baffling or troublesome, it's okay. I have, I have the capacity to relax and take it easy. I, I run it through the process of inventory. I'm willing to learn. I don't have too hard of a grip on the expectations of what exactly should happen and if I do find myself gripping it's okay it's like I'm able to let it go more but I'm not cured I'm not cured of alcoholism and I know that in my bones right so I'm very very happy that I still have this process um, but when I stopped manufacturing misery for that 24 hours the I mean it the, the most natural thing for me to do was have fun you know and uh it, it just—it was the thing that made sense. Play, laugh, have fun, relax, enjoy. I mean, it's, it's just like those things were just like kind of like coming out of me. Um, so, uh, so anyway, those are those are sort of at the end. Okay, but um, what's going on with me? I'm an alcoholic. That means not only that I cannot control the amount of alcohol that I drink once I start drinking, but it means um, that I actually do not have a choice whether I'm going to drink or not. That didn't change when I came into AA. It wasn't like, oh, all of a sudden I came into AA and now I'm around these people and I go to these meetings, so now I have a choice. I can choose not to drink. That wasn't my experience. I came to AA and I sat, I was in like a lockdown thing. That was all they did was talk about the 12 steps. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, an AA meeting in the book, but the spirit of AA was in this place. And I ran away from this place after nine months trying to uh, pursue a drink of alcohol. Uh, <clears throat> Because I essentially, what happened was I was totally insane. I was suffering from a spiritual malady. I'm full of self. And, uh, and I had no defense. You know, when the thought to drink came, I was not able to reason. I had no, I had, my, the sanity inside me was not strong enough to reason with the temptation, right? And so I ended up, you know, giving into it regardless of uh, how that would affect me and how that would affect the people who cared about me. And um, there's a part in We Agnostics that says, uh, the fundamental idea of God is deep down within every man, woman, and child. I believe that God, God's self, <laughs> is deep down within every man, woman, and child. And this is sort of my, this is my conception. So if it doesn't work for you, it has nothing to do with your conception, and you don't need to believe it, but this is my experience, so I'm just going to share it. And if anything that I say doesn't work for you guys, there's like 35 other people here. Like, talk to somebody else after the meeting. I won't be offended. I can do the inventory that I'm telling you all about, and I can become free of my resentment against you. Um, and, uh, <laughs> or maybe during the critique part, you know, after that I'll walk through it out loud. My sponsor once, um, somebody dropped a huge profanity in, in, in the meeting, and it wasn't just a profanity, it was a very derogatory term that he took very personally. And when he shared, he walked through an inventory out loud on how to, to become free of, of the anger that he was feeling against this person and to be an example. I mean, that was, I was like hugely powerful when he shared that with me. Um, but I, uh, you know, I believe that, um, I believe that like the spirit of God is like in my heart, right? And like what the what the steps have done for me is they've moved me from like living in my head to just living in my heart, like um, clearing away the things that like block me from what's already there. And so, uh, 
you know, my experience with God, um, I didn't reference the book a lot last week, um, so I feel like I should, you know, we agnostics also says the consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you, but come to me, like, when? Like, my, I didn't start to have an experience with God working in my life at step three. I had to be at step three in order to, like, do what I needed to do to, like, have that experience, but I don't remember if I shared this last week or not, but I would, like, say the third step prayer. I would try to, like, will God into my life without doing anything. I would just be, like, if I, pray, if I strain all the muscles in my body as I'm saying this prayer and I give it all the effort that I have, maybe God will know I'm serious and God will come and strike me happy, you know. God will change the way that I feel desperate for relief. And it never worked. It ne- I became increasingly more and more and more and more miserable. And I had had, like, some taste also of, like, working working the steps, but I wasn't, you know, my first four-step that I ever did, they threw me in a corner in this treatment program I was at, and they said, you can't get out until, until you write this thing. And then they had some girl come through with me who really didn't know what she was doing either, and, like, right, and I'm, like, writing these, like, stupid columns that I don't understand. I'm getting no freedom. I'm, I'm, I'm digesting no chunks of truth about myself. I'm not understanding anything. I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. Um, but, yeah, uh, eventually, you know, I, I got into enough pain of just living by my own resources alone and, like, in my own head that I, I didn't think that I was going to stay alive. Like, I thought I was – I didn't want to stay alive. I didn't know how I was going to survive past the age of 16 if I didn't have some relief from myself, from my sober condition, you know. Alcohol was the only thing that worked to fix the way that I felt. And, um, and uh, you know, alcohol gave me what the promises talk about. And so I needed, a, I needed like, a better way to get the promises. And luckily, they are the promises <laughs> that we get after step nine. Um, so I can, just do, I can just do, you know, not, but not like an isolated step nine where I'm, like, walking away. I mean, and I don't know, maybe that's what Dr. Bob did. Dr. Bob made all his amends when he had, he had been drinking beer that morning to, like, to be still enough to perform a major surgery. And when he left the surgery, he was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this thing that you're telling me about, Bill Wilson. And he went around and made all of his amends that day, and he never drank again. For me, I needed, like, a lot of preparation <laughs> and understanding, and, like, there needed to be some serious shifts that occurred, like, in the previous steps before I just went out and started making amends to people. But, um, you know, so so this is kind of all build-up. <clears throat> This is all build up uh what i'm what I'm trying to say is uh is is my decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God uh was a great decision, but it required um some action like immediately following and I believe the wording in the book is like though our decision was a vital and permanent one, it could have a little permanent effect was a vital and important one. Um, it could have little permanent effect unless immediately followed was a vital and crucial step. It could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So this idea that like God is somewhere in here is just God is just totally blocked off. And what is God blocked off by? Self-centeredness. You know, our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And so the first thing that I do um, 
is I start looking at like what are the major manifestations of self in my life. Um, Any time I am disturbed, the problem is with me. It doesn't matter how justified <laughs> I feel in that, and my sponsor harps on that a lot, you know. But but the best thing about that is that I have the capacity and and the path to become free of anything that happens, and I have not had to work through super tragic things in my life, but I have had enough example from you, and I'm not going to go cause a tragedy so I could do it and prove to my, you know what I mean, but like I have had enough example from people in my life who have worked through trauma and tragedy and kept the focus on them and became free and, and got willing to forgive and all that stuff. Um, but uh, the first, you know, the first thing that I look at, um, you know, in this like specific like fourth step, right, is my resentment. And uh, the way that I, I do resentment inventory a lot. Resentment and fear are probably my most common forms of inventory that I have to process. Um, the sexual conduct inventory is important. And, um, and I have also had experience not looking at the sexual conduct inventory not only with like sexual relationships, but with just important significant relationships. Like when I did my four step and I did um, the conduct inventory, I went through, you know, people I had dated, people who I had had kind of like flirtatious relationships because there's probably like a lot of grounds for self-seeking. There's probably a lot of like, I have no intentions with you, but I'm using you to make me feel better kind of kind of thing. But also just like people, like significant personal relationships, like people that I spend a lot of time with, like my family. Where am I dishonest? Where am I inconsiderate? You know, um, where am I selfish with these people? How am I behaving? So it's a great like thing. It's a great inventory just to process as like a conduct, just to check like, how am I being as a friend? How am I being as a daughter? Like if I don't have any like resentment or fear and connection to this person. Um, but resentment, uh, resentment's really cool. So um, I, the book has taught me to break down resentments into four columns. Um, and uh, you know, I'll give like a recent example. Um, I, and this is like really pertinent to where I am because like I spent a lot of time in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, doing like this and that out of the book, and people showing me like this and that out of the book, but I didn't have a relationship, and I didn't have like a basic understanding with the big book. I didn't understand that like this was like the recipe for sobriety, you know. I just I didn't get it. I I sat in meetings a lot, and I thought that every, this is terrifying. But I thought that everything that people said in meetings was AA and the message of AA. <laughs> I didn't know that it was like written down somewhere like a little bit more coherently that I could like relate my experience and then follow it very simply. It's like baking a delicious pie. <laughs> um, and. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and so when I got on, there's this like, oh, there's like this hilarious part in the family afterwards. Um, you know, assume on the other hand that Sarah at the outset has had a stirring spiritual experience. Overnight, as it were, she is a different woman. She becomes an AA enthusiast. <laughs> she is unable to focus on anything else. As soon as her sobriety begins to be taken as a matter of course, uh, the fellowship may look at their strange new friend with apprehension, then with irritation. There's talk about spiritual matters morning, noon, and night. Um, she may demand that the home group find God in a hurry or exhibit amazing indifference to them and say that she is above worldly considerations. She may tell other people who have been members of AA all their life that they don't know what it's all about. 
and that uh, they had better get her brand of spirituality while there is yet time, right? So it's like, I have this like burning spiritual experience. All of a sudden, the whole thing makes sense. I understand my alcoholism. I understand my need for a power. It's amazing. And I'm running around AA telling people that they don't know what they're doing, you know? <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, that's not really helpful to anybody. <laughs> It's just not. What's helpful is like my practical demonstration of my principles. What's helpful is me like not telling you that you don't know what's going on, but my like cleaning house and finding relief and, and being able to show up anyway and having people say, how do you do that? You know, if I'm attractive to somebody, like that's helpful. Like me focusing, like the idea that like um, great events will come to pass for me and countless others if my relationship with God is right. You know, it's not that I'm managing everybody else's relationship with God. Um, and, uh, and so I've struggled with the big book being something that separates me from people, you know. And it's not only people who don't have the same relationship with the big book that I do. Um, I, I definitely, it's like, oh, I, I have like a very basic kind of like judgment separation that I've had to like really inventory like the arrogance in that, you know, and the spiritual pride. Um, but the big book can be something that separates me from other big book people, right? Because I'm so insecure. I love, I relate so much to Bill's story, and I didn't until my sponsor took me through. But I proved to the world that I was important. You know, the inherent low self-esteem in that in that uh, situation, all of my relationships have been about, you know, this, like, dependence dynamic, you know, that I'm, like, seeking something, something from me. I'm looking. I've never once been free to just freely give love, you know, to just, like, be a channel on a vessel for God. I have, like, an expectation and a dependency dynamic in, in everything that I do. There's, there's hardly ever two people in the room. And I'm not talking about, like, now, so currently. Like, there's been huge shifts and huge progress in that area, but, like, that, that has happened before. Um, but it can come up with other people that really know the big book, right? I'll walk into a big book meeting that I've never been to with a base expectation that these, this is like, you know, regular old group of thumpers. They, they know the lingo. They know, they know the deal. Um, and, it's, and, and immediately, it's, I'm like, I'm, I'm like all of the big book stuff that I know, I'm, I'm like throwing it out there like a shield, right? Like, no, I know what I'm doing, you know? Like, don't, don't worry about me. <laughs> don't think that I'm new. You know, it's like all this ego. And it's like the big book, like, instead of the big book being about love and service and being able to, like, communicate and transmit this experience where I can, like, be, be free enough of self to just, like, be love and service, it can become this, like, shield that, like, separates me from people, you know? And so this all relates to what I started talking about. I swear I'm actually going to start talking about inventory in a second. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I bring a meeting into a school on, on Friday. It's, it's an alternative high school that has a special focus on substance abuse and uh, mental health. And I asked a girl to be the speaker for me. I hadn't seen her in a long time. And the last I knew, she had, she had uh, joined this kind of like hardcore group in the city, and she had a male sponsor. And so I'm like, all right, like this girl, like she's probably pretty hardcore. And so I go and I meet her and, and we have this time and, um, you know, nobody shows up for the meeting. So we just kind of like check in with each other and like talk and catch up. And then she leaves and I am like wildly disturbed when I leave her. I feel so uncomfortable. I think I, I, I went shopping or something ridiculous, you know, after that. Like, I, um, I, just, <laughs> I just felt horrible. And, um, and I got home later that night, and I was talking to my mom, and then I was like, you know what, Mom? Like, 
I I need to get a pen and paper right now, and I need to write some inventory, a resentment inventory. And what's cool about that experience, actually, my mom was like, that? Resentment inventory? <laughs> and she was like, well, maybe, maybe I have a resentment. How do you write it? I, like, sat down with my mother at the kitchen table with a big book in between us and, like, showed her how to write a resentment inventory. You know, it's like our way of life has its advantages for all. By the, by the fourth column, she was like, Sarah, I'm tired. I did not know this was going to be so long. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and I'm like, no, Mommy, you're almost there. You have to keep going. Um, but so, so I wrote down, you know, I was like, I, I need to get to the bottom of this. You know, I need, this is, this is something that is like blocking me, right, from being effective and useful. This is something that is like, like preventing me from having peace of mind. And this is something that's keeping me, you know, from conscious contact to God right now. So I need to, I need to write about it and I need to see really what it's all about. So I write down who the girl is. And I write down second column. She seemed to be concerned about me. <laughs> um, she, what, why was I upset with her? She wasn't very communicative. You know, she didn't share of her life, of her personal life, the way that I was sharing. I was like telling her everything that was going on. Um, you know, she was like a little more reserved. I was, I was horrified. I was like embarrassed that I had like, you know, just like thrown up all this stuff. You know, like here, here I am. Here's what's going on approve of me <laughs> and I got nothing <laughs> nothing she was just like well call me anytime like <laughs> like if you ever need help call me <laughs> and I'm like I'm like shopping I'm like, <laughs> um, and uh you know, okay, so that's second column, right? But like when we leave the second column, we leave the second column. Like so many times I'm doing inventory with people, we're like, we're on column four and they start saying so. I'm like, gee, that's funny. That sounds a lot like column two. Uh, we're not, we're not in column two anymore. We left, we left that town <laughs> a long time ago. Um, and, and I go into column three and the column three is like, what does this affect? You know, it's like, what major part of self is this affecting? And they give us this list, right? Is it my personal relations? Is it my sexual relations? Is it my self-esteem? Is it my ambitions? Is it my pocketbook? Is it my emotional security? So these things. And uh, I recently got put onto like a little bit of a deeper column three that I really enjoy because the, I, like the fourth step promise is that I will have digested some major chunks of truth about myself. They're not promising that I have any relief. They're not promising that anything have. They're promising that I see myself differently, right? I'm the business owner who I'm going through seeing like what has expired, you know, what is no longer working. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of separating things. And so I was like, well, it affects uh, my self-esteem, right? So what am I really saying? I'm like, well, she didn't, uh, she didn't approve of me. You know, she didn't treat me the way that I wanted to be treated. She didn't comfort me and tell me that everything was going to be okay, and that affects my self-esteem. So what's another way of saying that? Oh, my self-esteem is attached to uh, being approved of by other people. Simply, it doesn't have anything to do with her. It's like me. It affects uh, my personal relationships. Uh, well, what about it affected my personal relationship? I feel like I don't want to be close to her now. You know, I feel like I don't want to be close to people unless, you know, we have this, like, connection or unless she's seeing me. It's, like, the exact same thing. It's, like, my personal relationships are attached to people seeing me in a certain way. So I'm consistently trying to, like, prove to you. I'm showing up. Here I am. 
I'm Big Book Sarah. I'm Spiritual Sarah, as Dave named me for this for this series of talks, you know. Uh, but essentially, it's like I'm not, I'm, my self-esteem and my personal relations are not derived from, like, a, a secure sense of God's presence and, like, a desire to be helpful to people, right? It's like, it's not about that. Um, my emotional security, you know, I, I feel insecure when other people are not expressing love and validation, right? So I'm, like, <laughs> so self-centered. Um, and I think I think that was like it, you know. Um, and and sometimes sometimes I do an individual column three for every resentment in column two. Sometimes I don't feel that that's necessary. But if it's like a really big resentment and I really feel like I need to break it down that much, I will. Other times I feel like I can sort of, you know, do one column three and check to make sure that I've covered every point in column two. Um, and then I move on uh, to column four. But before I move on to column four, they give us this thing called the six hand prayer. And they say, now, you know, we're going to review our list thoroughly now that we're done. And we're going to be prepared to look at these, uh, these people from a whole different standpoint. And the standpoint is that these people are spiritually sick, just like me. You know, and then I mean, and I'm going to ask God to relieve me from being angry, to show me how I can be helpful, and to help me to treat them the way that I would treat any other sick person. I have a hard time with this prayer because I don't always believe that the person that I'm resentful at is spiritually sick. Not that I just think they're a horrible person, but I usually feel like I'm the spiritually sick one. Like, I like a victim. Like, when I have resentment against my boyfriend, I'm like, he's not spiritually sick. He's just, like, beautiful, loving person. And I'm a nut job who doesn't know how to be intimate, who doesn't know how to be in a relationship, you know what I mean? So, so I, I don't, I sometimes don't feel the need to, like, pray for this person is spiritually sick. I'm, I know they're not. You know, I am. And, and so I don't always say that prayer. It depends on, like, really depends on like how angry I am and how justified I feel I am. I feel like that's the gauge for me. Um, but then we then then the direction, you know, that you guys gave me is to put out of my mind the wrong that the other person has done and to focus on four things. Where had I been selfish? Where had I been self seeking? Where had I been dishonest? And what are my fears? And so selfish, boom. I showed up. The entire thing from the get go was about me and how she was gonna make me feel. That's it. You know, I would, did not show up with a spirit of, oh, I haven't seen this girl in such a long time. I wonder what she's up to. We're going to bring this meeting in. We're going to give these kids some hope. It's going to be amazing. No, I was tired. I was in fear for something the night before. I was totally in self. The whole thing was about me from the start. I'm thinking about me the whole time. I'm in total fear about what she's thinking about me. Okay, write that down. That's where I'm selfish, self-seeking. I'm trying to derive self-esteem and security from, like, how she's treated me and how she's making me feel. You know what I mean? I'm, like, I'm trying to give her everything that I think she's going to want to hear for her to say, wow, Sarah, you are really on the beam. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, like, I'm, like, tatering on the beam. <laughs> I mean, like, about to fall off. Um, and uh, so, so that's self-seeking, right? It's like every time I'm trying to, like, gain my sense of security from, like, how you see me, I'm trying to, like, get my sense of self, like, through your eyes. And this is, like, this is, like, the truth, right, about, like, where I'm at with this girl or, or where I can be many of, many of the times. Like, just thank God. I, thank God people in AA in 1935 knew what I was going to need in 2012 to be able to show up for life like a normal person, you know, just, like, incredible. Um, dishonest. 
I don't remember exactly what, oh, the, the biggest dishonesty on that day, I was trying to show her that I had everything all together, and I didn't. I didn't have it all together. There was some fear that was going on. There was, there was a lot of self-centeredness. There was, like, there was some, like, whatever, anxiety. I didn't have it all together. And when she said, how are you, instead of saying, you know, in general, I'm okay, but today I really don't have it together. I'm glad we're at this meeting. I was just, I was like a juggling buffoon trying to make sure that I seemed like I had it all together so that, so that she could be impressed by my Alcoholics Anonymous program. I get here because I'm like a hopeless alcoholic and I'm trying to be the best, like the most recovered one here. Um, <laughs> this isn't like, I mean, not, I'm not trying to put us down. We're brilliant, creative, awesome people, but this isn't like, you know, the, like the President's List Club. You know, this is like, this is like last house on the block for like, <laughs> um, for alcoholics. Um, but we have each other, it's nice. And, uh, and, and fear, you know, I'm, I'm essentially, it's like most of my fears come down to like, I'm afraid that I won't be loved, I'm afraid God's not going to take care of me, I'm afraid, um, you know, I'm afraid to like never feel safe. And, uh, and, you know, I had a lot of those fears that I'm not good enough and blah, 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 blah. I fear that she judged me, so what if she judged me? The idea is like we write down our fear and we ask, like why we ask ourselves why we have this fear I'm afraid she's going to judge me well why am I afraid of that because if she judges me I feel horrible about myself <laughs> what if I feel horrible about myself well then I have no sense of relief you know and I'm either going to like kiss butt and then feel even more miserable or it's just never going to go away or whatever and most of my fears spiral out to like I'm going to end up drinking and dying you know it's just like going to be the most the worst thing ever in my like fearful world um and so I, like, totally saw the truth, right? So I went from feeling like, oh, what's up, what's up with her, right, to being like, oh, this problem was entirely of my own making. It was completely rooted in self. And, um, but, but what do I do about that, right? Like, here's where the rest of the steps come in, because um, I love this part in step three from how it works. I relate to it so much where it says we could wish to be above everything we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. There often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we cannot live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. The only way that I know how to get God's help is through prayer and the, and the process of 4 through 9. That's the only way that I know how to, like, clear enough of, like, Sarah away to get, like, Sarah's spirit sort of, like, coming to the surface and, like, expressing itself naturally. That's just the experience that I've had in AA, and that's what you guys taught me. So once I saw the truth about myself, I, I'm like, God, there's nothing that I can do to make myself different. I can't, I can't, ta I can't like, go in and like cut out this like part of me that like is desperate for approval and validation but I can recognize it for what it is and I can really ask for help you know and I can like you know what what would the opposite of that look like oh it would look like me knowing that I'm enough having like some security in my relationship with God and and asking for a constant thought of others uh, and how I can help meet their needs it would look like me showing up for this girl 
with a genuine sense of, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. How have you been? What's going on in your life? You know, and then listening. <laughs> and just being there and not expecting anything, affirming that, like, things are complete and that it is all okay. So, like, am I willing to maybe have that experience? Am I willing to grow towards that? Am I willing to ask God to relieve me of the self-centeredness and trust enough that, like, my solution is not working and there might be a better one and that I can, like, become available for that experience? Yes, I'm willing. God, help. So it's kind of like six and seven. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, uh, sometimes at this stage in the game, I take, I take inventory so often that, like, sometimes it just, it just hits me very naturally, and I don't need to kind of run it through and process um, with somebody. Uh, my, my first major force that I absolutely needed to do that and probably 95% of the time I, I do do that but this one it just it was like the steps kind of like just kind of came out of me very naturally like I knew instantly like I was still at the kitchen table when this was happening and something <laughs> very humbling thought came to me and it said you need to call her and tell her the truth and I was like oh boy <laughs> okay uh, it was it was just a beautiful experience, and as soon as I knew that I needed to make an amends to her and that I needed to like confess like all of the self centeredness and all of the self seeking, this like this like giant sense of relief came over me. It was done. It was it was already over. All I needed to do was make the call. I called her the next morning. I had told my sponsor or somebody I don't remember. I was like I had this amends to make, but it just it felt natural. I trusted the instinct. It was fine. Um, she didn't call me for like two weeks. I, I called her once, left a message, called her again, left a message, and then dropped it. And like three weeks later, she finally called me. And when, she, when, when we connected, I just said, I owe you an apology. I spent the entire time that we were together a couple weeks ago trying to impress you because I thought that would make me feel better about myself. I had an image of you as being this woman in this hardcore group with a male sponsor, and I thought that I needed... Uh, you to know that I played hardball with the boys, you know, and uh, and because of that, I was not present for you at all, and I was not a friend. <laughs> I was I was hardly even there, and you deserved so much more than that from me. And is there anything I can do to make it right? And you know, she's like a loving, amazing woman in AA, and she felt like it was totally unnecessary, but she thanked me. And then she supported me. I was on my way to a job interview. And, like, that's essentially, like, at this stage in the game, like, the way that the process works for me. Like, the way that I, like, feel this giant disturbance and that I need to, I need most of the time to, to write it out. I feel the relief when I write it out. Uh, and, and I take it through the steps. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then it was just, like, disturbance over, you know. Um, and then I, like, went through the rest of my day, you know. Um, I only have a couple minutes left. Uh, I talked a little bit about the fear inventory. Um, I write down what the fear is because at some point during that like huge paragraph of spiraling out what I'm afraid of, I can see what I'm really depending on instead of God. I'm depending on like validation or I'm depending. It usually comes to like I'm I'm relying on a human power, you know, to like for security. Um, and again, like this is like that's like essentially like self-knowledge you know just like seeing it like self-knowledge and like that's great it's like where I have to start but I can't necessarily just change it and make myself not be afraid anymore um and uh and then what I do is um 
it says uh we uh we ask God um I am not rushing you. Okay. I'm afraid of what Dave thinks about me. <laughs> As you should be. <laughs> you can critique me during the critique session afterwards. Um, essentially, once I have the fear and I see what it is, um, I was taught to, to say, like, you know, the formula is, like, we ask God to remove our fear and direct our attention towards what God would have us be. And so something that's been super awesome and helpful for me is if I didn't have this fear, what would my life look like? You know, God, what would you have me be instead of fearful? And um, I was like in a lot of fear at my brother's birthday about a situation. And, and I was like, I was like suffering about it. And I, and I paused, <laughs> took a deep breath, got out my computer, wrote a fear inventory, um, said, you know, God, what would you have me be instead of fearful? And I closed my eyes and I started writing everything that come that came to me, and I had I just had like the most powerful experience with that format because the things that were coming to me had nothing to do with fear. They were like, if I wasn't afraid right now, I would join the party. <laughs> I would ask his friend how he was doing. I would sit down and eat dinner. I would get a glass of water. I would call a sponsee. I would have fun and like all these things. And like as this like intuition, this like intuitive self pouring out of me, I'm becoming um, farther and farther and farther away from the fear that was dominating and running my life five seconds ago, you know? And I instantly feel back in, back in line, right? Like back in touch with like the God inside of me like I'm sure that God wants me to be happy joyous and free like it is not that bad um and then I have like I have like my my plan of action I'm like okay so now I have to go do those things you know what I mean and like and like meet God halfway in that sense um so uh so yeah so so that's like the setup for um for the amends process, uh, like four, five, six, seven. That's kind of that's kind of like how I work ten though more now. It's like in the moment, like as I feel disturbed. But like I did a more formal, like long version of of like that inventory and the fear, and then I did look at like you know my conduct and like the way that I was like self-centered essentially and like using people. Like it's like this whole thing. Like all of my disturbance boils boils down to my self-centeredness and my, like, <laughs> inherent inability to just, like, love people and, like, be there for you guys and be unselfish. Um, but I've had some, like, really amazing experiences with amends, like, on, on, the, on the bigger scale because amends are very, very important. My first aid set that I did in Alcoholics Anonymous, I started making the amends and then I just stopped. And I had no correlation between not making amends and the misery that I was feeling. Um, and uh, when I went, I started going through the steps again last year, and one thing that I did was I made sure to be very, very thorough about my eighth and ninth steps. I took my first one back out. <laughs> I uncovered it from wherever it was. I went through my um, through the fourth step that I had just did, and I checked off all the names that I felt like the resentment had actually caused harm to the people. I could see the harm that I caused in my fourth column. Not everybody on my fourth step knew, and not everybody in my fourth step needed to know. Um, like, those things would just cause more harm if I went and said, you know, I really hate you, you're really terrible. <laughs> um, but there were a lot there that I needed, to, I needed to do the same thing that I had done with that girl and really clear up my side of the street um, so that I could just be, like, more helpful, more useful. Um, and, uh, you know, I started going through that, and uh, 
that was like maybe six or seven months ago, I had like 60 people on my amends. I mean, I was like everyone that I have ever known that I have even possibly, you know, mistreated was like on that. Like, I just, I wanted the demon like out, you know, I was like, I was done. Um, I have like 13 names left. Most of them I have already made one approach to and uh, it's not, it's not quite time. I potentially have an amend scheduled for like a little bit later. Like it's possible to make, it's possible to make your amends, you know, it's not impossible, <laughs> it's possible, <laughs> and, um, and it feels really good, there's something, there's something magical that happens, you know, when I'm in the steps, when I'm not just trying to manage my life with my own thoughts about what that should be like, but when I'm just, like, showing up for the step process, you know, um, and, uh, and so, uh, basically, like, as soon as I started making amends in terms of, like, cleaning house, um, I started doing uh, morning and night step 11 um, as it's outlined in the book and I also started doing a weekly inventory with my sponsor. So step 10 is essentially designed to be practiced for me every time I feel disturbed in the moment. I'm watching for selfishness, dishonesty, and resentment and fear. I'm like turning away from these things constantly all day. I don't do that perfectly, you know, um, and, and what's helpful for me is that uh, earlier this morning, every week, my sponsor and I have an appointment and, and the day before or if it's that night that morning I send him a written it's kind of like a written four step it's like a long ten step I, I confess any mistakes that I've made that week uh, I write about all areas of selfishness I inventory any resentment that I have I write about all dishonesties and I inventory any fears that I have and then I have eighth and ninth step up for consideration so I have like a running eighth and ninth step list going on and I will read this with my sponsor every week and that coupled with, you know, like active, like activity in my ninth step. Um, it, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't resulted in me like floating around the world and feeling amazing all the time, but it has, it's just, it's given me the sense of like emotional stability, like I said before, that even when things are not figured out and I don't have it all, that it's like, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, I'm showing up. I'm like fairly present, you know, I'm like fairly able to like help people and I'm, you know, living my life. I think the way God would have me live, not the way that, you know, I necessarily myself, my lower self would have me live all the time. Um, so I do a lot of inventory and um, I also kind of believe that like God is much bigger than the format, like not worshiping the format, being open to like different ways of doing inventory and like lots of other outside spiritual teaching. Um, but where I'm at right now in my sobriety, I found that like just just not resisting the format and like actually putting pen to paper and like trying to stay diligent about that, it, it is helpful for me to like get connection to God and maybe when I grow a little bit more, I will, I will not need to write inventory down so much, but for right now, like it's working, so I don't really question it. And it's 7.30 p.m. Thanks for letting me share. Okay, so this is where we open it up for uh, comments, uh, critiques, uh, questions, concerns.